What's up, podcast listeners? This is Glenn the Commissioner Gordon here with you for episode 30 of the Racial Diversity Gaming Hour. Um, it's been a great 30 episodes. I can't believe myself that we've been doing this for 30 weeks. But, you know, there you have it. The numbers don't lie. Um, I'm here, of course, with the most racially diverse gaming crew on the internet today, starting with our good friend, the original Ben Sterling. How are you, Ben? Hot! So- sorry. Sorry, oh, that was bless you. that was a bit weird, but I, I kind of read some comments earlier that, that made me feel weird. Uh, I'm, I'm okay, thank you, and you? Earth! I, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Um, <laughs> what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I've been playing through that game, and I've got a review soon, which I can't talk about much, but all mm-hmm. I can say is it's really good. Uh, apart from that, uh, actually not much, I've been just trying to organize everything for london in september and october uh wait you're a gamer uh you're a gamer in september and the final fantasy fan fest in october you just go everywhere don't you <laughs> um hopefully someday i'll be as lucky um <laughs> also with us we have our good friend our other good friend straight from the kgb gary Bagdasarov. how are you gary i'm pretty good how about you i'm not too bad um <laughs> Do you want to do you want to give a, a Captain Planet call to? Uh, wow, that's <laughs> not even a Captain Planet call. What are you talking about? What, there, do, what do you mean? Whoa. There's earth, there's earth, fire, wind, water, and heart. Oh, the heart. Oh, I'm sorry, heart. <laughs> okay, so there will be two <laughs> hearts. There will be two heart. Yeah, there's two heart. <laughs> <laughs> um. Just, I know, we just screwed everything up. Just, just so that you guys know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, after RDGH29 was published, we got some comments on PSU.com. Um, some, con- I guess, concerned listeners. Uh, what, some of them were talking about um, our name, uh, the Racial Diversity Gaming Hour. And to be fair, it's not the first time I've heard it. I know it's a strange name, um, but we, I think that's why we picked it. We picked it because it was kind of different. And, you know, I've heard stuff like this on N4G as well, that, um, you know, what does race have to do with gaming? And, you know, you when you say that, you misunderstand the purpose of the name. Yes, um, it does kind of refer to the fact that our crew is rather racially diverse. Um, but this comment um, from our friend Ian uh, says that basically we are called the racially racially racial diversity, I can't even say our name today, the racial diversity gaming hour, we're called that and we're racially diverse because it's it's a marketing strategy and we're trying to cover all of our demographics and, you know, we're trying, we're trying to make it a big racial thing. Um, and, you know, Ian, I thank you for your input. I, I, I'm not being cute. I truly do. I'm, I'm glad to, when um, our listeners give us feedback like that and say, hey, this is what works. This is what I think doesn't work. But um, I, I just want to take the time right now to let Ian and everyone else know that's not the purpose of any of this. Um, when Racial Diversity Gaming Hour started, it was four guys, uh, myself, Gary, Dane, and the prodigal son, Ernest Lynn, who is still prodigal. Um, we were just talking. Like The idea to come to a podcast together came before the thing had a name. Um, and it was just a coincidence that I think Dane noticed uh, and he noticed he he was like, oh, let's call ourselves Racial Diversity Gaming Hour, and we kind of laughed. It was kind of funny, um, but basically the name is kind of a tongue-in-cheek 
observation of our own diversity, yes. But it's, it's more importantly pointing to the fact that we discuss different venues of gaming. Uh, we're not PlayStation, we're not Xbox, we're not PC, we're not Nintendo, we're all of that stuff. So it's, it's, diverse, it's basically diversity in gaming, but racial is just a tongue-in-cheek little observation because we are a pretty diverse group, and we like that about ourselves, but it is not a selling point. Um, so we're the Racial Diversity Gaming Hour, you know, for now, take it or leave it, we don't have a plan to change it because, you know, frankly, we're pretty happy. We've been having a lot of new listeners lately, and um, for those of you who are new listeners, welcome, we're glad to have you. Um, if you have any feedback, I promise I don't bite, just send us a comment on PSU like Ian did, send us a tweet at the RDGH, we'll be happy to take your feedback, discuss what you have to say, and we will take it into consideration. We'll give it a try. Um, but right now, our, our name's RDGH, and that's what we're staying for now. Um, as far as tweets go, let's check our tweets. Uh, did you guys have anything to say about that before we move on? Well, you know, my idea of calling it the Planet... But Captain Planet Diversity Hour just didn't really roll off the tongue. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ian had a bit of a comment in our in his post that kind of amused all of us, actually. Um, he said, and I quote, just because your team is racially diverse enough to summon Captain Planet doesn't set you apart or make you better than the generic emotionless team of white guy characters that have dominated games since the NES. And yes, he is right in saying that a rather emotionless team of white guy characters have dominated games since the NES, but, you know... We thought the whoa, 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 whoa. I, the 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 whole white guy gaming thing started with the Xbox, okay, not the NES. <laughs> but we we <laughs> just get that straight. <laughs> we do applaud you, Ian, for the Captain Planet thing. It, it made us smile, so thank you for that. Um, let's check our tweets here. Uh, we only have a couple. One from our friend Shifty Twenty Five, wondering where the podcasts were. I am actually the guy who edits these podcasts, and I'm in a bit of a transition because I'm about to go up to college on Thursday, actually. Um, so my schedule's kind of crazy, and I am still working, which is interesting. Um, but our friend Shifty25 has been trying to keep us on track, and we thank you for that, Shifty. Um, of course, our super fan, SNOVA34Z, used a service called TwitLonger, which apparently allows you to tweet more than 140 characters. Um, because his tweet was that long. Here's what he said. He said, people do not like hearing spoilers toward video games they didn't play yet. As for me, I love spoilers because it gets me hyped, and I can strategize so I can move through it with ease. So thank you for the Last of Us spoiler podcast. This will be the first game I get when, uh, when I get my PS4. He's referring to our um, The Last of Us discussion that we had um, that was supposed to be appended to the last episode, but it got long, so we released it separately. So, you know, I don't know how I feel about you having spoilers for that, um, my friend, Fonz. That's, uh, that's one game that we don't like, that we don't think should ever be spoiled for anyone. But we're, if we helped you, we're glad we did. Um, ben, you were on that podcast, right? I, I seem to remember you ducking out. Yeah, I ducked out a little bit when you were talking about the ending. Right. Okay. I came back straight again once you'd finished. Yeah. So I, I, I do need to apologize if I yawn too much. <laughs> no, I didn't notice anything. Okay, good. I didn't notice anything. Um, so quite a bit of news has come out. Our last podcast, actually, we did before we recorded it before Gamescom, and so some of the stuff there kind of 
we were talking about, oh, hey, maybe we'll have this stuff at Gamescom, and then it was published after Gamescom. So that was a little weird, uh, but thanks for your patience with that. It was a pretty interesting Gamescom. Um, but if we can push Gamescom aside for just a little moment, um, on the 14th of August, just last Thursday, actually, we got NPD figures. And we love when NPD figures come out because that that's basically how we kind of know where everything stands in the world of gaming. Um, so let's talk software first. Um, I'm going to read this from IGN because they do something neat and, and they kind of organize it by um, system. So the system that sells first, they'll put in the, that sells the best, they'll put in the front. So The Last of Us was at number one, unsurprisingly, having released in late July um, for PS4. Um, one of the best games on the PS3 for sure, for certain. Um, PS4 and PS3 in that order as far as sales, sales figures go, The Last of Us. Second was Minecraft for 360 and then PS3. FIFA 14 for 360, PS4, Xbox One, PS3, and then PS Vita. Number four, Watch Dogs, PS4, 360, PS3, Xbox One, and PC in that order. That's surprising to me because I thought PC would be a little higher. Um, Mario Kart 8 still hanging on at number 5, of course, exclusively for the Wii U. Um, this gives me a bit of a facepalm. Um, Call of Duty Ghosts for the Xbox One <laughs> at, at number 6. Xbox One, 360, PS4, then PS3, then Wii U, then PC. Um, PC last again, surprisingly. Um, number 7, Grand Theft Auto 5 for 360, then PS3. Sniper Elite 3 for PS4, Xbox One, 360, and then PS3. NBA 2K14 for 360, PS3, PS4, Xbox One, PC, last again. And then number 10, LEGO Marvel Super Heroes. And this is a long one. 360, then PS3, 3DS, DS, PS4, Wii U, Xbox One, PS Vita, and PC, last again. Um, that one's out for nine different consoles. Is that going... When you're reading off the consoles, that's just for what system it's out for, right? Yes, IGN... Um, lists the systems from the highest selling to the lowest selling. Oh, okay. That's so, 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 for example, uh, The Last of Us was number one. It listed PS4 and then PS3. That means PS4 sold more than the PS3. Okay. So, um, and it, I find it interesting that PC was last on all of the games in the top ten that it was in. You know, um, usually everyone's talking about, oh, PC is, you know, better and it's higher up, but not very many people in comparison get these games for the PC when they're available for consoles, it seems. Yeah, it's true. Uh, everybody, well, I don't know, a lot of PC games that have modding capabilities tend to sell a lot more on PCs than, than on consoles. That's true. I'm sure Skyrim, Skyrim was definitely a PC favorite, I think. Skyrim is still selling like crazy when it's on Steam. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Um, then there comes hardware, and before we talk about numbers, which aren't exactly even there, NPD doesn't usually feature hardware numbers, um, there were a lot of highlights. Um, this is quoted from NPD's July report. Um, PlayStation 4 was number one in sales for the seventh consecutive month and remains the cumulative leader for next-generation games consoles. PS4 led the month for next-generation software sales by a considerable margin, with The Last of Us Remastered taking the number one spot. Um, and remember, Last of Us Remastered was only around for a little while in July. It released in late July. 
So it was only around from the very end of July, and then it, it still managed to take the number one spot, which was pretty significant. Um, PlayStation 4 games accounted for more than half of total next-generation software sales. Um, for the second consecutive month, PlayStation was number one in combined home console, home console hardware sales, if I can speak, uh, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 3. Um, other notable global PlayStation 4 sales milestones from this week, PlayStation 4 sales have surpassed 10 million units, sold through to consumers worldwide, demonstrating the fastest and strongest growth in PlayStation hardware history. Finally, more than 30 million copies of PS4 software have been sold in retail stores globally and through digital downloads on PS Store. Let me now um, talk to all the people who say that PS4 has no games, and um, let me point at this third little bullet here. PlayStation 4 games accounted for more than half of total next-generation software sales. Okay? And... Some of, remember, keep in mind that some of this next-generation software is also available on the previous generation. Um, but more than half of them, more than half of them, are just for the PS4. Not for PlayStation in general, but for the PS4. PS4 games accounted for more than half of total next-generation software sales. So at, we're at a point now where both companies are getting their libraries together and more games are coming in. So I hope to see this stupid no-games thing disappear very soon. Um, other than that, how do you guys feel about these highlights? Well, obviously the PS4 is the standout here, you know. But other than that, I mean, I don't really see much of a difference from last month. Almost all the same games are, are on the MPDs. But uh, uh, the most surprising, I think, is The Last of Us being number one. I mean, this is a PS3 game that came out again on the PS4. And it's on the, in the first 24 hours, it sold 1.5 million units. And that's just staggering to me for a one-year-old game. That's ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it had only been out. Like, what day in July did it release? Was it the uh, The end of July, yeah. I don't remember the day. It was the 20-something. I think it was the 27th. July 20th. That sounds It came out on a right. Friday. Yeah, that sounds right. So it, it was literally only around for like, like a few days at the end of July, and it managed to do this much. That's crazy. That's really crazy. Um, I think also Watch Dogs is a surprise. I thought that game would completely fall off the list <laughs> after everything that's been going on with that game. I still haven't played past, like, I got it. I was so excited to get it. I played it for, like, an evening and like, half of, a, half of the next day, and I haven't picked it up since. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I'm just, I'm just not really inspired or motivated to keep playing it, which is yeah. sad. It is sad. Um, especially since I spent the extra 20 bucks on the season pass. So there's 20 bucks I'm not getting back. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, there are no numbers. Um, these NPD results tend to be a PlayStation 4 fest, um, I, simply because the PS4 has been so surprisingly successful. Um, again, 10 million units sold through this announced at, uh, formally announced at Gamescom. Um, they stood up on stage and proudly announced 10 million units sold through, which is really actually remarkable. It's only been, what, nine months, seven months, something like that? It hasn't, it hasn't even been a year yet, and they've already done 10 million units. You know, that's ridiculous. 
that's amazing success. Um, Xbox One, as I remember, is pretty successful too. Listen, I, last I heard, Xbox One was at five million units. Um, but don't think for a second that five million units is bad. That's actually pretty good for a brand new console. Um, it just kind of pales in comparison to the competition at this point. So congratulations to both. Wow. Well, um, also, you got to remember that's five million shipped. No, which at, is still at, Ben. At this point, it, it, they did say sold. Oh, good. Um, oh, still good then. So congratulations to both companies on a very successful um, launch window so far, um, and. Here's to another great year. Uh, 2015 is already seeing some promising titles, um, as announced at Gamescom and E3 this year. And so, hey, gamers, you know, start saving. That's all I can say. <laughs> these, these things are expensive. Like, they, they're so good at, at getting your money. It's ridiculous. Like, I, I spent money that I don't have on Destiny, uh, the, the limited edition of Destiny. So that's going to be fun to pay later. Um, let's talk Xbox for a moment. Um, Xbox One, you have an August update, uh, coming out today, I believe. And one highlighted feature is one that I wasn't actually aware that Xbox could not do yet. Um, but starting with the August update, Xbox One users can now buy and download games remotely. Um, this is something that PlayStation has been doing, so I guess I it didn't really think about whether or not Xbox One could do it. But it is a great feature, it's a very cool feature, it's a very useful feature, so I'm glad that Xbox One user just gets to take advantage of it. Basically, if you're out, you know, you're out on around on the town, I've used it before, you can buy it, you can just pull out your phone and buy a game and tell it to download on your home console from wherever it is you are. And then when you get home later, it's there, or it, you know, that's, that's really useful. Um, it, it's basically, uh, according to Larry Hribe, Hribe, I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm just going to call him Major Nelson. Um, <laughs> this feature was, quote, one of the most requested features based on Xbox feedback. Um, you just used the Smart Glass app. Most of you Xbox One owners probably already have that. Um, and this is just another one of Microsoft's highly touted uh, feature and enhancement updates. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, it's fine. It's good for them. I mean, I've used it plenty of times uh, through my phone. I've uh, bought a game on my PS4 uh, through the, or on my phone and had it set to download on my PS4, so when I got home, I can just get in and start playing it. It's a great feature. So, kudos to them. It is a great feature. It's nice not to have to worry about waiting so long for your downloads. Yeah, you can just go out and do your thing. Especially since games are so big now, it takes like two hours sometimes, maybe three, just to download the game, and then you have to wait until for it to install too. It doesn't matter so much with me because I usually buy a disc. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you're a digital gamer, aren't you now? I am now, yes, because I ran out of room on my shelves. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine still eventually collectors editions though. Collectors editions. There you go. Yeah. So hey, congratulations. Um, also, Xbox owners, you're getting 3D Blu-ray support. Um, also, you're going to be able to get a notification when your controller's battery gets low, and you can turn off notifications while you're watching videos. So congratulations on the new update, Xbox One owners. Enjoy, and let us know how you feel about it at the RDGH on Twitter. Wait, they haven't had notification that their controller is dying? Like it just dies and that's it? Um, apparently not. Wow, that's... Yeah, awesome. until this patch, it, it, unless their controller actually dies, it doesn't tell them. Oh. 
That's unfortunate. That is, you know, I, I think that's something they had in the last on the 360. Why would they exactly like that? That's I think that's the one thing that I figured they have. They just that's just kind of like a duh, you know. I kind of want. I don't want to have my controller just die on me in the middle of a, a match or a game or whatever. You'd think that's that's a no brainer, but I guess they saw a reason not to prioritize it. I also thought MP3 support was a no brainer, and I guess Sony didn't understand that. Well, see, the thing about MP3 support is this: uh, it's a video game console, and oh, yeah. I, I understand that MP3 support can be very convenient because you, you do more, you do media stuff and whatnot, but it's a video game console, you know? So I don't think of that as, as much of a no brainer. I mean, sure. It's highly requested for sure, but a no brainer, eh, you know, I, I, I'd imagine going for the gaming, the gaming and perfecting that that's the no brainer in my mind. Well, see, the thing is that the reason I thought it would be a no brainer for them is because one of the most requested features on the PS3 was to be able to, listen to music while you're playing whatever game you want. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, that's coming to PS4. And technically it did come to the PS4, but you have to use Music Unlimited to yeah. do it. Yeah. So when they said that, I was like, oh, sweet. Now I can listen to my music, whatever music I want, while I'm playing whatever game I want. Yeah. I can listen to a podcast when I'm, when I'm playing the game. Yeah. You know? And it just didn't happen. So I've been kind of sad about that for a while. There are actually a number of um, highly requested features. One of my favorites being the ability to change your PlayStation uh, ID. Um, yes. That's definitely a highly, highly, highly requested one. I think someone once said it was the highest requested one. Um, and yet, you know, there are still people, cl- people clamoring for the DLNA and the MP3 support. And, you know, I don't know. To me, I, to me, I just, I guess, I don't understand why that's so vital. Because you have like ninety devices in your house that play movies and play music, and that can connect to your home entertainment system and, and, and do these things. So I'm surprised. You know, I'm actually rather surprised that it's as in high demand as it is. Sorry, what was that, Glenn? <laughs> um, never mind. Um, Sorry. <laughs> Nintendo also revealed in the NPD figures that nine separate 3DS games have surpassed a million copies sold in the U.S. Uh, those are Mario Kart 7, uh, Super Mario 3D Land, New Super Mario Brothers 2, Pokemon X, Pokemon Y. Um, for those of you who are wondering which one sells more, Pokemon X has 2.1 million, Pokemon Y has 2.01 million. Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D, Animal Crossing New Leaf, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, and The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds. So 3DS owners, those are your nine games that have surpassed a million copies sold in the U.S. If you're looking for games for the 3DS, start there. All Nintendo games, too, which is still amazing to me. Absolutely. Um... (laughs) Going general now, hardware sales doubled in two, July 2014 versus July 2013, uh, stemming from growth in 8th generation console sales, which offset declines in 7th generation console and portable hardware. Um, I don't know what that means, but that's what the thing says. Um, so do what you will with that. Um, in short, things are going well, and it sounds like the market, the industry, is thriving on these new consoles and these new games. Um, 
I say that without knowing exactly how much revenue and how much profit uh, the developers and the publishers and the manufacturers are making. Um, but at least there is some clearly high popularity uh, amongst these games. So um, I, I also find that interesting about Pokemon X and Pokemon Y. Two, 2.1 million for Pokemon X and 2.01 million for Pokemon Y. Uh, do you have these games, Gary? I do not, no. You do not? Okay. No, I, I'm not a fan of the new Pokemon. I don't like their designs. Oh, okay, yeah. I really picked up any of the newer stuff. Do you have it, Ben? Yes, I do. Which one do I you... have Pokemon X. You have Pokemon X. Wait, didn't you say at one point that you bought both? Yeah, I bought both. I gave one to a mate. Oh, you gave one to someone else. Okay, gotcha. Are they still doing like the exclusive Pokemon for each version? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. You can trade between them, but there, you know, if you buy X, there are certain Pokemon that you will get in X that you can't get in Y. Yeah, like Charizard X and Charizard Y and so forth. Well, yeah. Though so in the UK, which is a nice little event that's been going on, well, I think it's ended now, mm-hmm. if you took your uh, Pokemon game into game, our local game, yeah, the game store, you would get um, the opposite Charizard of your version as a mystery gift. <laughs> which was quite nice. It's quite nice. Um, let's take one more look at one more console, the Wii U, um, still being driven by Mario Kart 8, which sits at number five on the top ten software sales list for July. Um, through the first seven months of 2014, according to Nintendo, total sales of Wii U hardware and software have increased by nearly 60% and more than 135%, respectively, over the same period in 2013. So Wii U is getting a bigger audience. Um, you know, I've said it before, who to thunk it? You know, release, release a great game and get a bigger audience. I um, thought that. <laughs> I called it. <laughs> Mario Kart 8 was the second Wii U game to break the 1 million sold mark behind New Super Mario Bros. U, uh, which currently sits at 1.69 million. Uh, so those are the NPD results for July. Um, now I can't wait till August. I'm, I'm getting interested in, in just how the market's growing. And actually in how Xbox is growing because it's not doing too badly. It has a pretty, um, it has a pretty solid lineup so far and it's getting better all the time. Um, so who knows? Personally, I don't think that it's, I, I've said this before, I don't think that it's going to pass the PS4 anytime soon. But somewhere down the line, you never know. It's, it's doing its thing. So um, one thing that it does have in its advantage versus PlayStation 3's situation back in 2006 is it was able to catch, hey, we're on the wrong track, before they actually launched the console. Whereas the PS3 had been out for a while when they finally decided, hey, this isn't working. So Xbox really does have a bit of a, um, an, an advantage in its situation versus what PS3 had in 2006. Um, ben, you've been pretty quiet. Anything, anything else to add? All I want to say about that difference is the fact that um, I don't think it's the same as 2006 because PS3 wasn't out in Europe until late and trust me, Europe is a very Sony-centric you know, area. Yeah. With the exception of um, UK, right? UK, yeah. Okay. And even um, now, I think Sony's, Sony's, um, Sony's beating Xbox in the UK right now, right? Uh, I think it's very close, though. Very I don't close? Want, I think it's very close between the two, okay. Because of the price difference, you know, it's, it's the pro- the Xbox has gone down quite a bit in price here, right? So it's getting more sales. 
but I, I still don't. I don't think it's going to be a PS3 situation again. Mainly because the reason why the PS3 was last was because it was out a year later. Mm-hmm. Well, it, the Xbox doesn't have that advantage this time, really. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, competition is a good thing. Competition's an amazing thing. That's competition is what keeps customers from getting screwed over. Um, as we've seen, as both of these companies have demonstrated. Um, Speaking of system updates, PlayStation 4 is about to have its own system update 2.0 was announced at Gamescom 2014 and introduces some pretty interesting features to the PlayStation 4. Um, PlayStation's usually uh, criticized by Xbox enthusiasts for not releasing the same amount of feature-heavy updates as Xbox does. Um, although with new features like notifications for when your battery gets low, I don't know, maybe releasing a bunch of feature updates is kind of gratuitous. Um, Basically, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming to Update 2.0 for the PS4, including YouTube sharing. Um, Right now, you can actually get your videos on YouTube by simply saving them to your hard drive and uploading them using a computer. But this way you will be able to upload your shared videos from your PS4 natively to YouTube. Um, There's also SharePlay, which was actually announced back in February 2010 with the original PS4 announcement. This is the feature that will allow you to not only watch your friend play a game, but actually take over from wherever you are, whether or not you own that game. Um, SharePlay is going to be coming to System Update 2.0, and um, also real-time activity feeds in the What's New section, and more that has yet to be announced. Um, This is a quote from GameSpot. Uh, The company says to think of SharePlay as a virtual couch, allowing for, quote, an online local co-op experience, end quote, that doesn't require your friend to own the game in question. It also highlights the fact that this is the realization of the previously announced feature allowing a friend to take control of your game. In other words, just what I just said. Um, What do you guys think? You can go fresh on this one, Ben. Well, I think it's a good idea, but I heard about a 60-minute limit on the share play feature. Whether this is 60 minute per game, 60 minute, then it, you've got to redo it again, redo the connection. Either way, that's the only thing. I love the idea, but that kind of put a downer on me. Right. Well, keep in mind that I think the point of share play is not to just allow your friends to play the game for free. You know, yeah. if you if you did that, you know, you'd have people play Call of Duty and just be like, hey, come play me in Call of Duty. And, and then you'd have people who would never, ever have to buy the game because they can just play with SharePlay with their friends. But the thing is, though, uh, let's just let's just say you're doing the co-op. That's fair enough. But, you know, well, yeah, the co-op I don't think should be capped at all. I think the re- main reason is the whole thing of they can control your game and, you know, play it for you. I mean, that's the reason for the cap, really, more than anything. But the side effect that is, you can't play that game. You just have to sit and watch. Uh, I can understand the six minute. I think a sixty minute time limit is good if it is, isn't literally just a limit. You mm-hmm. know, it kicks you off, and then you have to redo the connection. Sort of like you know those phone packages where you got sixty three minutes, and you got to phone up again to get another sixty three minutes. Right. I think that would be great because that way people can't just leave their console on for their friends to constantly play. They have to be there and watch the screen in case they get kicked, yeah, for when they get kicked off. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't think this should be sort of a, an overall cap because what if, what if, you, if you know, 
what if your friend plays for 60 minutes then you get stuck later on what 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 about then do you, do you bug someone else <laughs> i suppose i don't know but although if, if you're stuck with one thing does it really take 60 minutes to get over that one thing what if everyone's stuck on the same thing everyone's stuck and nobody knows what to do if everyone's stuck <laughs> well, <laughs> nobody well, knows how to get unstuck no one knows okay Um, I think that a cap like that kind of highlights the, what seems to be the point of share play, which is just what we were talking about to quote GameSpot. If you're having trouble with something, you can have someone remotely take over and help you through it. Um, so just keep in mind going forward, this is not a way to just play uh, someone else's game for free. Uh, it's basically just a way to jump, jump in and help someone when they have a problem. Um, go ahead. Though I think the worst case scenario, if there is that 60 minute time limit, is if it's imposed on each game. Like they can only play that game for 60 minutes and then they can never play it again unless they buy it. I think that would be the worst case scenario with that. So if the, you're saying if the cap was a solid cap that never reset? Yeah. Right. Like they can only play it for 60 minutes and, and that's it. Yeah. I think that would be the worst case scenario. Okay. With with what there, if there is going to be a 60 minute cap. Um, That's, uh, the 60 minute cap is confirmed with Yoshida. Well, it kind of confirmed, semi confirmed. Yeah, so, um, so if it is there, it, it definitely needs to be explained more. Because if you're talking about such a huge feature it's like that, then you need to have all the information because. With Sony's track record, they always announce something great, and then they ruin it with a terrible announcement right afterwards. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see what happens with it. Yeah, um, do you see Xbox coming out with something like this? Maybe. I thought they not this sort of exact feature, but I'm sure they had something like this to share the game with your friends. It was part of their friends and family package that they announced when the P- uh, the Xbox One still had DRM. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, when you purchased the game, you could share it with your friends and they could have a trial version for a while. Uh, and they could play the game. But they had to be online to do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was something like that anyway. I didn't really look into it too much. But then when they, DR, when they got rid of the DRM for having to be on when you play the Xbox One, they got rid of the, the family share package as well. Yeah, they did. Although I've heard some interesting things about the family shared packet, that, like some interesting restrictions that kind of had me tilt my head a little bit. Um, but I think that the family sharing thing is one of the most mourned features that went away from the Xbox One. Uh, that, that was definitely the most interesting thing I think that they were doing with it. Um, I also wonder if, if, like, if they're going to let certain companies decide if they want to let uh, players do the family sharing, or not the family sharing, the game sharing, because there's a lot of games I can see now where you just wouldn't be able to do it, like Final Fantasy XIV, for example, a subscription-based game. I highly doubt that my friend will be able to take over from my game and play it. Especially since their login system is so wonky. Like, you can't log in on another PS4 unless you use a special security token. And if you don't have that security token, then you're not getting it. It walks you out. Well, 
I don't know because the way uh, SharePlay works is it it seems to use PS4 servers. So I don't know. I mean, the idea is that you're jumping in and taking over for your friend. So what's to say that by you taking over, you're not just playing as your character? Like it's not like another character is logging on for you or with you. Like that person is taking control of your character that you're already logged on to. I guess, yeah. And plus, they're taking control of your account, not their account. Um, it's it's like remote play, but with your your PS4 being, you know. Right. Uh, the idea the they, idea that they have is like um, if you're sitting in one room and you say, I can't do this, can you do it for me? And you hand the controller over to your friend. Uh, that's, that's what they're going for, just a, a much larger room. Okay, so, so the way I'm seeing it now is it's pretty much like remote play through another PS4. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. So your friend should be able to do play Fire 14 with no issue. Okay. But it means you won't be able to play it until yeah. he stops playing the, it. At the same time. You'll yeah. get to watch. Yeah. That'll be fun. Oh, the joy. Actually, I spied on my friend playing uh, Watch Dogs <laughs> through my Vita. Oh, was pretty- oh well. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's like your own private Twitch stream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Let's talk Xbox One one more time. Um, one thing from Microsoft's Gamescom thing. By the way, Microsoft went to Gamescom for the very first time ever. Um, and... Oh my goodness, some people were rather ticked off with this one. Rise of the Tomb Raider was announced to be an Xbox One exclusive. Um, It wasn't until later that Phil Spencer admitted that the game, quote, has a duration as far as its exclusivity is concerned. Um, It was announced as an exclusive to Xbox One, and that's that's significant to PS4 gamers. That hurt, um, because this is a game that was made on the PS4. So all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm a PS4 gamer and I've played all the Tomb Raiders. Now I can't play this Tomb Raider because it's just not on the system anymore. And that does kind of suck. Um, So that had some outrage going around. Some people were swearing off Crystal Dynamics um, (laughs) and Phil Spencer and Square Enix for that matter. Everyone involved uh, just sounded like a terrible decision and so, so much backlash. Uh, Phil Spencer released a comment. Um, he said, quote, when people want me to say, can you tell us when or if it's coming to another platform, it's not my job. My job is not to talk about games I don't own. I have a certain relationship on this version of Tomb Raider, which we announced, and I feel really good about our long-term relationship with Crystal and Square. Um, to me, that sounds a little weird. I don't care what your job is or is not. You know, I... I think that it's weird. Like, if you go to a store or, or something and ask someone a question, you know, you don't want to hear someone say, "Oh, that's not my job." You know, you want <laughs> you want to know, can you answer my question or not? If if you can't answer the question, then shut up. Basically, um, is is my opinion. But Spencer basically says, "Hey, I don't know. It's not my job. Um, ask Crystal and Square." Um, Basically, you know, I think the question that Tech Times asks, um, and that's that's where I'm getting this from, TechTimes.com. Um, Tech Times asks, why does why did Square even sign up for this deal in the first place? Why did Square make this an exclusive Xbox game? Um, Tech Times' assumption kind of has me scratching my head. Um, 
Tech Times believes that it probably has something to do with Uncharted 4. Uh, Uncharted 4 is rumored for a holiday 2015 release um, around the same time as Rise of the Tomb Raider. And they say, quote, it would make sense for Square Enix to avoid Uncharted 4 as much as possible. And it appears the best way the company sees fit to do this is to focus on the Xbox One version of the game and probably release the PlayStation 4 version at a later date. We strongly believe this is the case for the Xbox One exclusivity, and thus we have no problem with it. Uh, many fanboys are complaining about the deal, but would likely pick Uncharted 4 over Rise of the Tomb Raider as their main purchase in holiday 2015, end quote. Um, what do you guys think of, of Tech Times' assumption and, and the whole Tomb Raider thing in general? I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I think with a lot of people nowadays... I know I know this. A lot of people will purchase more than one game at Christmas. You know what I mean? It's... For a lot of people, that's when they'll be... No, they'll be spending a lot of money on games because that is when most of the games come out. So, chances are, you'll probably see both Tomb Raider and... Uncharted doing not Uncharted will probably sell better, of course, but you'd you know, see decent sales for both platforms. Uh, but I, I would like to add: can I can I call this game the name? I want to nickname it after all that debacle earlier <laughs> on with the announcement. I, I have nicknamed this new Tomb Raider "Rise of the Tomb Ragers." <laughs> Rise of the Tomb Ragers. Um... <laughs> It will, it will stick one day. I think day. that would stick. Maybe that not. That would stick. Um, <laughs> Gary, what do you think? About the whole decision or from what they said? Oh. Um, oh, well, from what they said, I I could see it. But even then, I don't see going with Microsoft was the right call. I mean, if this was coming out this year, maybe. Uh, I think... With them going with Microsoft, pretty much that game is is being released on a time where it's it's not going to sell very well. I mean, you got Uncharted Four coming out, and even for Microsoft, you have Halo Five coming out next holiday. And between those two games, that game is going to get destroyed. That's not even including you know the next Call of Duty or uh, another Battlefield or whatever else is going to come out next holiday season. Um, but I just I think being exclusive to just the one console for a holiday season like that, um, you're you're asking to lose a lot of money. But then again, uh, I said this on Unchained. Um, I think the decision was actually kind of smart in a way where you know Square Enix said that the game sold. I believe it was around three million units across all platforms. The the remake, the the first Tomb Raider. Uh, and they deemed that a failure for them. Three million units was a failure for them. So if you look at it, you know, here is Crystal Dynamics. They're working on the game. Square is like, okay, well, the last one didn't sell what we wanted it to sell. So what we're going to do is we're going to take whatever wad of cash Microsoft gives us, which helps us with the development and takes away a lot of the pressure from us, release the game on their console, make whatever sells we can there, and then release it on the other consoles later and make even more sales that way. So in a way, it's kind of a win-win for Square, but it's a, it's a win-lose or maybe even a lose-lose for the consumer in a way because to, to me, if, if you're an Xbox One player and you can only get one game, Chances are you're going to be grabbing Halo Five instead of Rise of the Tomb Raider. Yeah, in my opinion. Well, so 
here, I, I actually disagree with you a little bit, Gary, which is no surprise. We frequently disagree. Um, <laughs> it's a wonder we're still friends. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, Gary's awesome. Believe in Gary. Um, Believe. Although, the thing about that is the money that Microsoft pays a developer for exclusivity is not pure profit. Because when you go exclusive, you are losing out on sales for an entire uh, console. And remember how the uh, PlayStation 4 was talking, uh, how Sony was talking about how it just sold 10 million units? That's 10 million people who will not have an opportunity to play Rise of the Tomb Raider, as opposed to the 5 million or so that are on Xbox One. That's money out of Square Enix's pocket. Um, so basically the money... Or out. The game is going to come out for a The later. money that Microsoft is giving to Square Enix basically is to kind of make up for all of that. Um, it, it, it's, it's not pure profit. There's, there's no way that's pure profit. Um, and, and quite frankly, if this has to do with Uncharted 4, then that, it doesn't make sense to make an exclusivity deal. Because what happens when you make an exclusivity deal for a game that is that was formulated on this console. I mean, you know how gamers are. You know, you can tick off gamers at the drop of a hat. And, and when you do something like this, and, and as happened, um, it causes a ridiculous amount of backlash. Um, so you have a bunch of... Now they have a bunch of backlash um, and stuff to just to avoid Uncharted 4. And, and don't forget that the holiday... Holiday 2015 is very broad. Um, holiday... How many holidays? There's... there's um, um, Halloween, there's uh, Thanksgiving, there's freaking Boxing Day, there's Hanukkah, there's Christmas, there's New Year. There's From October to January, basically, is holiday 2015. It's not like it's just Christmas time. It's not like it's one week in Christmas time. So there's actually a wide array of dates. So if Square Enix really wants to avoid Uncharted 4 so badly, you know, they could just toss a coin out there and basically release the day on whatever it lands on, and chances are they'll still avoid Uncharted 4, you know? There's, there's no big issue with avoiding Uncharted 4 because it's not like Holiday 2015 means they're going to be released at the same time. And don't forget that the game is rumored for a Holiday 2015 release. There is no set release date yet. So in my mind, if they want to avoid Uncharted 4 so badly that they just want to release the game at a different time, you know what makes sense? A delay. Not an exclusivity deal. Because a delay does not come with all of that backlash. Uh, a delay does not come with all of that backlash. So and then you still make all those sales. Um, because you remember, you've, you've got a really strong audience on this console that you're excluding for a little while. You know, So... You know, to me, it doesn't make sense that this would have anything at all to do with Uncharted 4, because there are plenty of ways to um, avoid releasing the same little window as Uncharted 4 without making an exclusivity deal with one console. Um, although, to, to tell the truth, I'd say yes, many people would probably pick Uncharted 4 over Rise of the Tomb Raider. But again, that takes into account, there's an assumption that it's either or. Um, you know, because remember, it's the holidays. So a lot of people are not going to just buy Uncharted 4 or Rise of the Tomb Raider. You know, you're, you're not going to stand in GameStop and say, oh, you know, Uncharted 4, shoot, I got that. Guess I can never get Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, this holiday season. No. You know, people are going to be buying both of these games. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that new system GameStop invented where 
when you pick up one of the titles, the other title becomes locked off, and you can never pick it up. <laughs> it's, it's that it's that new it's that new lockout system. Yeah, we we love that system. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this I I am just not buying that this has anything to do with Uncharted 4 uh, or any other holiday 2015 game for that matter. Um, it could be money. I'm sure Microsoft is giving them enough to make up for whatever lost sales there are and then some. And then once they launch it again, uh, once they launch it on the PS4, I guess my question would be, um, will it be enough? Because by that time, and this is whether there's a delay or an exclusivity deal, we don't know how long the exclusivity deal is, Usually exclusivity deals are a significant amount of time longer than a mere delay. Um, you know, it, it could be like a year or something. Um, and, and by then, my question would be, you know, are people going to care on the PS4? Uh, are, are people going to care about Rise of the Tomb Raider? Uh, as, as I understand it, it's not a normal uh, Tomb Raider game. It's, it's kind of an off game. It's kind of a branch off. So, oh, no. This is, Rise of the Tomb Raider is going to be a normal oh, it game. Is? It's Tomb Raider, the... Pharaoh's something oh, okay. something is the off branch, which will still hit the PS4 and PC. So I guess my question then is, you know, you have an audience of 10 million people versus an audience of a little more than half that, you know, by excluded by excluding the larger audience for an exclusivity deal, which remember is usually kind of longer than most delays, um, are when they finally do manage to get it over to the PS4, are a lot of PS4 gamers going to care about it? Because by then, a lot of them will have watched their friends play it, a lot of them will have watched reviews, a lot of them will be interested in other things. A lot of them will just view it as an old game and just not want to play it simply because it's an older game, which in my mind is stupid, but I know it happens. So, you know, how are they really helping themselves or are they hurting themselves here? I think they're completely hurting themselves. I think they've been hurting themselves since the moment they announced I think their biggest mistake was the way they announced it. You know, they announced it making it seem like it's only coming to that system. If they would have come out and said as a timed exclusive or coming first to Xbox, you know, it would have been a completely different well, story. But at, that they waited two or three days and Phil Spencer had to pretty much confirm that it was a timed exclusive, I think hurts them a lot. I think a lot of PlayStation gamers... And even PC gamers feel very betrayed by the decision to do this. You know, it's not about, like, the rage and the anger. I think it's more the betrayal that a, a franchise that started on PlayStation was jumping ship to to pretty much the, the competitor. You know, I think it's more something like that. And it, it might cost them a lot of sales. A lot of people... I mean, we've seen what it did to Microsoft when, when they, you know kept to their decision, and they lost so many gamers. You know, gamers these days are, they don't like being told what they can play and on what they can play it on. Well, you know, I mean, the whole betrayal thing, you know I don't buy this betrayal thing. Um, the, <laughs> the betrayal thing is stupid. It's a, it's a really stupid sentiment, because there's, there's no reason that one company should be locked onto one thing just because, you know, tradition. Because, oh, I started here, so now I'm, I'm stuck, stuck here for the rest of my days. You know, that doesn't make any business sense at all. Um, I believe that game developers should be able to branch out and do other things on other consoles. But, you know, it, it really does suck for gamers in this instance, instance because, you know, if I'm a, PS, a PlayStation gamer, it started on PlayStation, yeah. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I, I 
might have started playing PlayStation when Tomb Raider was out. It might be my my nostalgia shot, you know. And now all of a sudden, I'm blocked from playing it. And I'll, I, I personally would be like, "What the heck, man? What, what's that about?" Um, but the whole thing about oh, just loyalty, you know, lo- brand loyalty doesn't sell games, and quite frankly, brand loyalty doesn't get you to play games either. Um, by being by, with this brand loyalty thing, you miss out on great games on other consoles. Um, just because, oh, I don't want to play on anything but a PlayStation or an Xbox. Um, so I don't buy this betrayal thing at all. That said, I know that the betrayal thing does happen. Um, I, it makes me want to slap people, but it does happen. So I don't, that could factor it. But yeah, I, I think that this doesn't do too much for Crystal Dynamics' image. Um, the, the statement that Crystal Dynamics released after the... Um, uh, after the announcement, I, I don't have it in front of me right now. I should probably find it, but I thought it was pretty stupid. And I'll, I think a lot of people, it, it just sounded so, it just sounded like bull. Um, let me see if I can find it. I think the best part about it is the fact that it came out right after the announcement, making yeah. me pretty much realize that they knew the backlash that they're about oh, to absolutely. receive. absolutely. Yeah. These guys are not stupid. Like, these people have been launching games for years. They know, they know exactly what this, what stuff like this does. Um, yeah, I mean, even rumors or people from uh, Crystal Dynamics, the development team at Crystal Dynamics, started posting on Twitter that they had no idea that this was mm-hmm. happening. Like Nobody had told them that this deal was in place, that it was only going to be on Xbox Absolutely. One. Uh, you know, and that, that tells me a lot about management. And I'm like, you can't just, like, make people work on something and then tell them it's not happening. Um, you know? Here is the um, statement that Crystal Dynamics released in a Tumblr post. Uh, this was released on August 12th, 2014. It says, Dear Tomb Raider community, it's not very long, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. Dear Tomb Raider community, as you may have seen, we've just announced that Rise of the Tomb Raider coming holiday 2015 is exclusively on Xbox. We consider all of you to be the lifeblood of Tomb Raider and the work we do at Crystal. I'd like to give you some insight into this decision and why we feel this is the very best thing for the Tomb Raider sequel we're creating at the studio. Tomb Raider in 2013 was a success due in large part to your continued support. Our goal has always been to deliver something truly special with Rise of the Tomb Raider. Today's announcement with Microsoft is one step to help us put Tomb Raider on top of action-adventure gaming. Our friends at Microsoft has always seen huge potential in Tomb Raider and have believed in our vision since our first unveil with them on their stage at E3 2011. We know they will get behind this game more than any support we've had from them in the past. We believe this will be a step to really forging the Tomb Raider brand as one of the biggest in gaming, with the help, belief, and backing of a major partner like Microsoft. This doesn't mean that we're walking away from our fans who only play on PlayStation or on PC. Those are great systems with great partners and amazing communities. We have Lara Croft and the Temple of Os- Osiris? O-S-I-R-I-S? Osiris, um, weirdly spelled, coming to those platforms this December, and Tomb Raider the Definitive definitive Edition is available on PS4. We know that there are probably many more questions and concerns. Please do send them to us, and we'll answer to the best of our ability. Meanwhile, we're going all out to try and make something truly special, the most ambitious Tomb Raider game ever built. Thanks, Daryl Gallagher, Crystal Dynamics Head of Studios. And um, I think the second paragraph is the one that kind of makes me feel weird because they talk about how, oh, Microsoft has always believed in us and, you know, they've believed in our vision since E3 2011 and they'll get behind this game more than they have in the past. And, you know, that makes me scratch my head because Tomb Raider started on PlayStation 
it's like, you know, has PlayStation not seen any potential in one of its larger franchises? Well, it's not a PlayStation franchise. It's it's uh, uh, multiple platform. But has have Sony not seen any potential in Tomb Raider? I, I'm just wondering what's going on there. Um, why is now why is Sony support uh, less now than Microsoft's all of a sudden? Uh, to the point that it's worth an exclusivity deal with a console that has a smaller audience. I totally agree with you. I mean, the whole statement in itself. I mean, I, the thing that the statement that gets me, the, or the the part of that statement that really irritates me is when they said, "Oh, we have the definitive edition on PS4." You know, okay, that that's nice. That's kind of the same statement that Microsoft made with, "Oh, you can play a 360 instead." Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. that's the same way I, I feel, Gary. <laughs> yeah, even in the beginning of that statement, they pretty much said that it's exclusive to Xbox. There's no even hint that it's a timed exclusive. Now, before you know, yeah, just, they didn't. And, and quite frankly, it's not in Microsoft's best interest to say this is a timed exclusive. Um, if I'm Xbox and I'm wanting to sell consoles, I'm just going to say it's an exclusive uh, if I can. Because, I mean, at the time, there is an, it is exclusive. It's just not a timed exclusive. And we don't know how long the, deal, the exclusivity deal is. You know, I mean, it, it could be like Titanfall, which is exclusive to Xbox. But, you know, Titanfall 2, we're thinking right now it's probably not going to be exclusive to Xbox. And so, you know, it, we don't really know what the arrangement is. But I know that if I'm Microsoft, I'm probably going to claim whatever I can. Um, especially with such a large franchise, and especially with such a, a franchise that's so closely tied with competition. Um, yeah. Before we go forward, there is one thing I'd like to ask. Um, with Destiny, there's been a lot of backlash um, because Destiny has been kind of aligning itself a little more closely with the PlayStation, um, so much so that there is DLC that Xbox One gamers will have to wait like a year to access. So how does something like that compare to something like this? Are, are we... Are we justified in our indignance that this game is going to Xbox One and not PlayStation 4 for now? Um, is it the same kind of circumstance? Absolutely. Well, not really, is it? No. no. Well, the difference is they can still play Destiny. They'll have a little bit less content, but it's not like it's the whole game. Well, we won't be able to play Tomb Raider. Right. You know, it's, you know, it's sad thing that they can't play all the content, but it's it'll be some outfits that you won't use after after probably level ten. There'll be a raid that you won't do once you've beaten it once. Um, so pretty much everything in the DLC you'll probably out level eventually anyway, so you won't need it. Right. But yeah, there's a there's a difference between you still won't be able to play Tomb Raider exclusive DLC <laughs> and a full fledged game. I mean, that boggles my mind that people are even comparing the two. I mean, if you want to compare something, compare Heavenly Swords game. Uh, what is it? Uh, Hell's Hellblade? Hellblade. Which is a timed exclusive. You can compare those two, but comparing DLC is just completely out of the question. This is a $60 full-fledged game compared to what's probably going to cost Xbox owners maybe 15 to $10 to get. If anything, right. Even then, even then, that's pushing it, Gary. In my opinion, because it's not Hell's Blade is a new IP that nobody's had before. 
it's not had a release on the Xbox. It's not had a release on the PC. Well, Tomb Raider has had a release on Xbox and PC. So there is uh, brand recognition already. Well, Hell's Blade, there isn't anything. Yeah, you know, there's no fan base for it already. Yeah, but then again, this isn't the first time this has happened to Sony Part. I mean, this has been happening with Splinter Cell since the first Splinter Cell, where, you know, you get Splinter Cell on Xbox, then you get it on PS3 or PS2, and then you had a whole bunch of it. Then all of a sudden, two of them are exclusive to Microsoft, and then the last one comes out also on the Sony console. Right. So they don't even get to experience the entire story of Splinter Cell. Uh, let's keep talking about Destiny for a second now. Before before I say this, let me frame this by saying that uh, I don't really see a lot of this uh, coming from known gaming websites like IGN, GameSpot, PlayStation Universe. Um, I'm seeing it from lesser-known sites like uh, Briefcast, uh, International Business Times, and Hallel's, and Christian Post, and Epoch Times. So um, I, I don't know. Perhaps take this with a grain of salt, even though it is a rumor, uh, and you should take it with salt anyway. Um, just just pile some salt on this thing. Um, basically, it's saying that there is there are rumors for a PC release of Destiny. Um, they're they're quoting March 2015, but they are saying that the beta phase has been a great success. Now, uh, for Destiny, it's been surprising to a lot of people because Destiny is probably one of very few shooters that has not been planned for PC yet. Um, Bungie says that development for PC with Destiny would be difficult. Um, I'm not sure what's. I'm not sure what's difficult. Um, I'm not a developer, but should be easiest. I, I don't know. Like they're they're developing it a certain way somehow that makes this what they're doing easier. I guess. Um, but I, I mean, there are it, it, basically this article says, and I quote: "Sources speculate a March 2015 launch. Um, there are no sources listed." Um, these are. This is not a very well-known gaming website. So basically, what I'm saying is, it's probably not true. Um, <laughs> but do with it what you will. Anyway, um, what do you guys think of a, a PC launch for Destiny? Is is that something that Bungie should be focusing on pretty pretty soon here? Oh, they'll do it. It'll, it'll happen easily, especially with consoles being so close to PCs nowadays. Than they used to be. It's not gonna. It's not hard to port from console to PC. Um, so I can see them doing it after the console releases are out, um, and I think they should because the more P- PCs are very, you know, community community friendly compared to consoles even nowadays. Right. So I, I can see it as a bonus for Destiny mm-hmm. especially, um, and I can see them doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree with Ben. I I think it's just a matter of time. It will probably be like a game of the year edition with a bunch of DLC that they'll release for it. but I don't think it'll be a Game of the Year edition. I think it'll just be a normal release. Oh, perhaps. Either way, I, I think it's a no-brainer that eventually it will come to PC. And if they allow them, the modding community is just going to do insane stuff with that right. game. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they'll probably turn that whole game into Borderlands with Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, it, it is kind of Borderlands, like it's very fun. Um, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. As a matter of fact, you know, despite what I said on a couple podcasts ago, I've been thinking of possibly upgrading to the full Ghost Edition if Amazon gets more stock in. Um, 
Way. One of uh, us. One of no, us. Because, <laughs> to tell the truth, I really like this ghost character a lot, and, and I like its voice. And, you know, this, I still think just a statue is stupid. But it does have a bit of it has a bit of light and sound. It's kind of cool thing, a cool decoration. Uh, is it worth fifty dollars? Heck, no, it's not. You know, but whatever. I, I might I might just Hell. bite the bullet and spring for it. I wish they'd decrease the price of the U- the UK edition. To yeah. be honest, well, it's one hundred and fifty dollars or one hundred and fifty pounds. One hundred and fifty pounds does not make one hundred and fifty dollars. Fifty pounds. Yeah, 150 pounds is about 270 dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think well, I think I, that in general they just don't price things the same way in Europe that they do here. Um, like if, if something's 100 dollars here, like I guess they'll try and price it at 100 pounds there, and they'll try to keep it the same number even though the value is a little different. Well, normally there's a little bit of difference. Yeah, a tiny bit. Like it might be if it's ninety nine dollars and it's chances are it might be seventy nine here. Right. Yeah, you know, hundred and fifty dollars. I'm not expecting it to be like eighty quid because that's how much it should be. But you know, hundred and thirty quid would be perfect in my opinion. A little bit less and still more expensive, but you know, not a straight conversion. Right. It, it it feels <laughs> dirty. I'm still going to buy it, but it feels dirty. <laughs> I'm still it, active, it. it just feels dirty. Um, man. Okay, so uh, what are you looking forward to doing most in Destiny? Are, are you going to? Are you looking forward to more of the shooter aspects or more of the RPG aspects? Well, I haven't had a shooting game for a while, so I am looking forward to shooting parts. But it's the balance of both that I like the look of, really. Yeah, the the, the kind of marriage of the two different genres. Um. And to play it with Gary and Glenn, of course. Oh, you bet, man. We were, we <laughs> did a little bit of it. Um, we did a little bit of the game around the end, and it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so that's all I've got to say for RDGH this week. What do you, do you guys have anything to add? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily no. no. Ben. <laughs> Uh, not not re- not really. Just just the fact that if you use the Facebook, um, <laughs> if you use the Facebooks and look on the get a sponsor link from the the Square Enixes, you, you might see a quote from PlayStationUniverse.com. dot com. You might actually. There's right. a there's a quote from PSU on the uh, newest Destiny trailer. Way. I, I believe we called it a visionary undertaking. And they really like that. So well, I would. It's a very, very good. Anyway, so yeah, that's, that's we're everywhere. Nice. So yeah, we, we are from PlayStation Universe. If you're a PlayStation fan, check it out. We just got redesigned, and it it looks pretty gorgeous, if I say so myself. I I, I love it. Um, so check us out at psu.com if you're a PlayStation fan, and even if you're not, just join us. Uh, just uh, discuss stuff with us. Uh, we post, Even if you just want to complain in the comments, we'll, we'll be fine with it. Yeah, we, we post all sorts of stuff. Um, so that's it for us for this week. Uh, quick shout-out to a couple of people. First of all, Ian, for giving us our feedback one more time. Thank you for that, Ian. 
Um, also to Jackie Rose, who is responsible for our ending song. You're going to hear the full theme, uh, the, the full song. Uh, it's basically a nightcore type thing uh, called the video game song, written by a uh, quote from her YouTube channel, written and produced by Jackie Rose. Um, Jackie Rose is on YouTube. She says she's a seven-year-old music producer and composer, writes electronic dance music, primarily jump style, dubstep, progressive, and on, on and on. So, Jackie Rose, thank you. We like this song, and we hope that our audience like this song uh, likes this song too. Stay tuned for it at the very end. Um, of course, we are on iTunes. Make sure you follow us there. We'll be automatically downloaded to all your iThings. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. We'll read it. But we are on other places as well. So wherever you find us, wherever you want to review us, review us and send us a link to Twitter at the RDGH. We'll read that on the air. Um, of course, if you have any comments, any questions, any concerns, we'll read those on the air as well. If you have something you want us to talk about, if you have some input on what we talk about, just send us a tweet. We'll be happy to discuss it on episode 31. Um, again, that's at the RDGH. Um, you can contact our friend, the original Ben Sterling, at... Chili underscore UK and ben.chilibearhall at psu.com or chili on the gaff. Okay, and Chili underscore UK is your Twitter. Um, and as for KGB Gary... Yeah, so you can contact me on Twitter at Gagwalush, that's G-A-G-L-A-U-S-H, or on my PSU email at Gary, that's G-A-R-R-I, at PSU.com. And you can contact me on Twitter at goglen underscore at G-O-G-L-E-N-N underscore or by email at glenn.gordon at psu.com. That's all we've got for you this week for episode 30. Stay tuned next week for episode 31. Looking forward to hearing your feedback and getting your views, of course. Uh, stay with us and welcome again to all of our new listeners. We hope you'll continue to listen in the future. Um, until then, we wish you a great week, great gaming, and as always, don't be a racist.
game over.